Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with award-winning author, speaker, and coach, Lizbeth Meredith. Based in Chattanooga, Tennessee, her memoir, Pieces of Me, Rescuing My Kidnapped Daughters, is now a lifetime television movie stolen by their father. She provides coaching for those grounded in grit, ready to turn their past challenges into their superpowers rather than merely getting through them. She proudly served crime victims and offenders for 30 years in Alaska. In her off time, she enjoys movies at the theater, talking with podcast guests at Persistence U with Lizbeth, and FaceTime chats with their adult daughters and grandparents pets enjoy this interview well hey it's great to meet you thank you for taking a minute out today i appreciate it i am so excited to be here with you today joe thank you so much for having me absolutely so let's start off here where are you located in chattanooga tennessee just moved here after five decades in alaska oh wow i know that's roughing it excellent (laughs) um So, yeah, before we get into that story, what I would like to do is talk a little bit about surviving what we've all gone through for the last three years with COVID. How did you get through it and how has it changed the way that you do things now? Well, good question. I was so fortunate in that when I worked in Alaska, I was getting close to retirement, worked a job where I was considered to be essential. So I worked one week in the office, one week off. That kind of helped with human contact. And there were a whole lot of problems inside the office with people dealing with the stress of COVID, but it really did help. And as I was nearing retirement, I started my own podcast to create community because it it did feel and still sometimes does very, very lonely and isolating. Let's get to the heart and soul of what you do for a living on a daily basis. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders, career day. One of the kids looks up and says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? I amplify stories of persistence and really work to increase resilience and tame trauma. And so for third graders, that might sound like a little complicated, but when people have tough times, and they're not sure how to get through them, either by my writing, public speaking, and or even true crime interviewing and coaching, you know, I work to help with some of that because we don't all have the skills needed to get through some really, really tough times. So what did you want to be in the third grade? What was your dream to grow up and become? Well, I think I remember wanting to have a whole bunch of dogs. That is funny because I don't have any. But I also wanted to be a writer when I was young as a kid, and I wrote really tragic poetry. And I always died at the end of every poem, and everyone who was mean to me felt guilty in my poems. So uh, then later on in life, I ultimately did become a writer, but not till I was like 51 did I publish my first book. So let's peel back the layers of how you got into writing and how this all happened for you. Talk to me a little bit about where you were born and raised and how these seeds got into you to be, you know, not only a writer, but to be somebody that's, you know, dealing with trauma and helping people. Well, I I was born in Kentucky and a very, you know, my family farm is in a very rural place, but Ultimately, my mom, there was a pretty volatile breakup, and my mom took a few of her kids and left the rest. 
and headed off for Alaska. And so I had my name changed and grew up in Alaska thinking something feels wrong to me. And I think as a child, I really believed that the way to get through some of the things that were happening in our home was to think about life as being a book or a story, you know, and so we don't write the beginning of that book as humans. We just inherit it. And then in the middle, we can maybe shape some of it. And I knew that if I worked really hard, I might have an ending that I could be proud of. And so it was really important for me to detach with some of the things that were happening and just think about it as an observer. In some ways, it's really unhealthy, but it was a great coping mechanism. So what was the first story that you wrote that you really felt like this is what I should be doing? I think, I mean, I wrote little snippets as a kid, but when I was in college, I was a journalism major and I wrote a fabulous story on, I think it was on dating in Alaska. And while that never saw the light of day, you know, outside of being a coursework, I loved it. (laughs) Hmm. I was so amused with my own storytelling. <laughs> so that that was what I thought. Well, maybe, maybe this could have legs. So what was the first book that you read that really gave you that hunger for writing or made you want to read more? Oh, I loved reading and I loved it even as a kid. And so I really enjoyed um Roald Dahl books and Judy Bloom. I really liked uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder, you know, Little House on the Prairie books. I mean, I loved all those books. Anything that made me feel like someone else could relate to being my age or, or the struggles of growing up or maybe the embarrassment of being different, assuming that you're different rather, uh, Everyone is different. But as a kid, feeling like I am the only one who, you know, is this or thinks this way or doesn't have these clothes or whatever. So I loved reading. It really helped me feel like someone was keeping me company. So talk to me a little bit about the beginnings. How did the what was the first story that you got published or how did this kind of gain steam for you? Well, when I was in college, I did have an internship and, um, you know, got published in a pretty obscure magazine and felt like, oh, that's great. But then I knew that, you know, a number of people told me writing would not necessarily pay the bills. And by the time that I finished college, I was a single mom of two little kids and I needed to pay bills. So I had the journalism degree and I did completely different work. At some point during that amazing transformational work, my own children were taken out of country by their um, non-custodial father, my former husband. That's when it really helped to have the skills in place to a little bit detach and think, I'm going to fix this ending. You know, I'm going to work really hard to get my kids back. But this will be a great story with a lot of beneficial takeaways uh, for readers. And so... I started journaling and doing some things then to keep notes of what was happening. That was a two-year ordeal where my kids were out of country and I had no contact with them. And without the help of a zillion people around the globe, I would have never seen them again. I was, you know, making 10 bucks an hour at the time. It was a $100,000 problem in in the mid-90s. So I... 
if it weren't for the grace of other people, there's no way I would have seen my children again or given them a life they could embrace and be proud of. Not a perfect life, but a life of freedom. So that was when I knew there was a story inside me that one day when I had time and healing and perspective, I would share. So in your life, who's been kind of a hero for you? Someone you've you know looked up to and has been inspirational? Oh, there have been so many. Um, sometimes it's writers that I've loved their work. Um, this I remember when I was in college reading a, the writing of a woman named Maria Henson, who was just a young journalist who took some government agencies to task and won a Pulitzer Prize doing it. She was just fearless. I loved my old, you know, a couple of my old instructors at, in college, Roberta Pond and um, Virginia Kearney. And then a, one of my old supervisors, a woman named Heather Flynn, was just showed me how a person could get scrappy and and start giving, stop paying attention to being a pleaser and really work for what you believe was fair and correct and just. And a woman that was kind of like a pseudo mom to me, Eleanor Andrews. You know, there were always people that my, maybe my own family didn't supply them or I didn't grow up around the ones that were, that could have been instrumental, but I didn't grow up around them. It's not like there weren't amazing people in the family. I didn't know them, but it's always good to look in our environment and think, who can I emulate? Who has the qualities that I would want to replicate one day. I want to get to know them better. So if you can meet anybody alive on the planet right now and spend some time with them, who would it be? Dolly Parton. (laughs) Love her. She she is always on the top of everybody's list. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, what a fun and colorful and hilarious human being who makes a huge impact in the lives of millions. And I don't mean by her music. I mean by uh, her imagination library and her ability to speak an unvarnished truth and unite people rather than continue to play into narratives that keep us divided. I just think she's amazing. So, you know, with someone like Dolly Parton, obviously every day they wake up and they have a high level of motivation. They, they have things they want to do. What is that for you? What gets you out of bed every day? What gets you motivated to accomplish what you want to get done? I think um, I have a vision of what I want to accomplish and where I fit in. There are a lot of things in life I'm not good at, but the few things that I am, they're super enjoyable for me. So I do tend to work far too much all the time, but I love doing the work that I do. And I love that. It it came to me later in life, but really I feel like I'm pretty good at helping certain small group of people um, develop more resilience. And I love that. I absolutely do. And whether it's true crime interviewing or public speaking or whatever, I just really feel like that is my passion. And I'm thankful that there is a place that can make sense out of some bad prior experiences. So it seems as though a lot of what you're doing is like, there's a level of catharsis. It's like dealing with trauma and getting to another level. Do you feel like you're 
work is kind of symbiotic that way for you and in and kind of your evolution as a person? I do. I absolutely do. And it certainly doesn't mean that I've arrived or that every day I do wake up motivated to do things. I mean, I still go through periods of anxiety and depression and, you know, those type of things. So it's not like, wow, I've got this and I've got it figured out for life. But I do know how to at least tame trauma and incorporate it into our lives to turn it into something that can be a real asset. And I feel like a lot of us have those things that we have happen in our lives. And if if the response is, oh, that was so awful, I don't even want to think about those times, that needs a lot of work and healing and effort because we want to incorporate the bad times in our life and move forward and find the fun times too, you know? So what's been one of the best fan letters or client responses you've ever gotten in your life? Oh, I, gosh, last week even, and this is where I feel so grateful, like even in doing interviewing for a true crime channel that I work on, where we produce documentaries, a couple of survivors reached back out to say, hey, you know, this experience talking about my loved one's murder, this really was helpful. And I feel better about life in general. And so getting two of those in within a span of like seven days, that just meant the world because no one should have to bury a loved one due to a homicide ever under any circumstances. But it doesn't have to be the thing that's avoided. And I think helping people unpack those things in an environment that's safe, that's exciting when it, when it works. What's been the most surprising thing that you've either learned about yourself or about just being alive through doing this work? I mean, getting involved with such horrific things like this, there's there's a myriad of things that go into it. But what's been the most surprising revelations that you've realized? Well, even in writing or public speaking, I think there's always something to be grateful for in the midst of hard times. If we train our minds to it, there's always humor in the darkest of times too. And so it doesn't mean that our because we've gone through something so horrifying that we should be ashamed or feel stigmatized or feel like there's a vault that we're keeping shut because there are there really are great things in the midst of hard things. And we want to look for them, train our minds to find them and embrace those things too. So of all of the things that you've done and accomplished up to this point in your life, what are you the proudest of? Oh, gosh. I mean, I have two great cats. Just kidding. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I love cats. No, I, although they are really, I mean, fabulous. But uh, my daughters are amazing humans. And they're, you know, like me, they're completely imperfect. And we still struggle and I like to say that we put the fun in dysfunction, but uh, you know what? I am really proud of those people, those additions to the world. And, you know, I'm proud of my memoir becoming a TV movie. I really am. And I'm thankful for it. it I was a nobody author. So the chances of that happening are statistically less than 3%. So that makes me thankful. Didn't make me rich. Didn't make life super easy afterward, but I'm still grateful for the great people I met along the way. So let's say you have a dream tonight and you run into a much younger version of yourself and you could give that version of you a piece of advice 
based on the life that you've lived, the wisdom you've gained, what would you tell your young version of you? Don't give up. Whatever you do, don't give up and keep that vision in your mind of what your goal is, but it's really the journey that matters. It's everything you learn in the middle that makes life special. It's not reaching some sort of obscure destination. Whether we're looking to be debt-free, as an example, reach a goal weight, or make it through a horrific custody battle or health issue, it's the people and the experiences and the strengths that you gain in the journey that's worth savoring. What's the best advice that you've ever gotten in your life? Something that you always remember? Um, this was when I was signing up for food stamps, a, an experience that I hoped would never be a part of my life as a young single mom, like in my early twenties. And a woman had, the clerk had said to me at the government office, like, Hey, it looks like you've had a, a year or so of college. Do you ever think about enrolling and finish your college degree? And I said to her, do you know how old I'd be if I finished my degree? I'd be 28 years old. And she said, sweetie, how old do you think you're going to be in a few years anyway? You're going to be 28 years old with a degree or without one. (laughs) Which would you prefer? And it was a mindset shift that has informed so many later lessons in life. Whenever we tell ourselves something's going to be too hard, it's going to take too long, it's going to be too difficult, it's just ridiculous. And to really think about what's important and then proceed. So everyone out there has a perception of you, an idea of who they think you are, family, friends, fans, but you ultimately are in control. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? Or Yeah. An older woman who has gone through some really hard things and has found some joy despite that. Very good at a few skills. I mean, really, really good. And then tremendously awful with some basic skills like driving, like, you know, packing, like, you know, so many different. I get lost all of the time. So I'm just your average human some things I'm good at, many things I'm not. And I'm so grateful to have community. That's the thing that's kept me afloat all along is my ability to, I think, connect with people and keep the right ones in my life. And also you have fabulous cats. And handsome. So good looking. I should probably send you a picture because they each have a soul patch. They're litter mates. And they look like they could be in a jazz band. And I know that's something that would be special for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I love it. And and I'm a huge cat person. So sometimes I've noticed over the last few months when I'm talking, all of a sudden cats come in. I have cats at home and they're always they're just always around. I didn't realize it when I was a kid. But later on, there's a level of affinity that I have with the cats. So, um, yeah. So, no, that'd be great. Um, so, if, <laughs> no, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Oh, no, no, you're good. I was just going to, I was just going to ask if anyone wants to pick up your books, see the movie, anything related to anything that you create and who you are, where's the best place for them to go? I think my website at lameredith.com uh, would be great because they'd at least get familiar. My middle initial is A. And, 
and they can order books wherever books are sold and certainly find Stolen by Their Father, the movie on Hulu or Lifetime or a number of other streaming services. Wonderful, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for taking time out today to be a part of the show and best of luck with everything. I love the story. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate being here today and have a wonderful week. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. <laughs>